Today on A Daily Walk, we get closer to the most pivotal events in human history, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And the people began to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. They also said, we will not have this man rule over us. They also said, if you release this man, and this I think really put Pilate over the edge. They said, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. They said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. At that moment, Pilate knew that he could not gratify the crowd. He called for a basin of water and he sought to wash his hands from Jesus, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this man. And he turned Jesus over to the Jewish people and allowed him to be crucified. This is A Daily Walk. It's good to have you with us today as we return to our extensive study of Luke's Gospel. We'll be in chapter 23 today where we find the greatest demonstration of love. As you consider all that Jesus went through, remember He's dying in our place. But before we get there, Jesus is on trial before Pilate. Or is it Pilate on trial before Jesus? See what you think as we go there now with Pastor John Randall. Pilate decided to build an aqueduct that would carry water north down to Jerusalem. The only problem is that in order to finance this particular aqueduct, he used the temple resources. He robbed the temple resources to build an aqueduct. That also did not go over well. Third mistake, a few months before the trial of Jesus, he had new armor made for his soldiers and the shield apparently bore the face of Caesar, and again, the Jews rebelled. So Pilate is in a difficult situation in his political career. A lot of problems. There's no more making of mistakes. And so I believe that is why when the Jews came to him the first time and brought Jesus, the first thing he says is, you go and judge him by your own law. Almost to say, I don't want anything to do with this. You take care of it. And they said, well, we have a law, and he is deserving of death. Now, as he began to question these religious leaders who were accusing Jesus, you look at verse 6 and he finds out that Jesus actually had been in the area of Galilee. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him. And he hoped to see a miracle done by him. And he questioned him with many words, but Jesus answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, sent him back to Pilate. And that very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate realizes, I've got to get rid of this situation. This guy's innocent. I don't want to be held accountable for his blood. And so he finds out that Jesus was from the area of Galilee, and so he sends him down to Herod. This particular Herod was Herod Antipas over the region of Galilee and Perea. He was the same Herod who had martyred, put to death by beheading Jesus' cousin, whose name was John the Baptist. And for a long time, this Herod wanted to see Jesus. In fact, it is recorded in Luke's gospel that Herod, in Luke chapter 13, he thought, in Luke chapter 9 actually, thought that Jesus was actually John the Baptist risen from the dead. 
And so he wanted to see him. In Luke chapter 13, the Pharisees told Jesus to get out of the city because Herod wanted to kill him. And Jesus responded and he said, you go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will be perfected. Herod wanted to see Jesus. And so imagine now Jesus standing before the murderer of his cousin, and he's wanting him to perform, wanting him to put on some show, do some miracle in his presence, and Jesus stood there silently. And so Herod then began with his soldiers to mock Jesus, put a robe upon him, perhaps a scepter in his hand, began to march him around and worship him in a very condescending way, making fun of him. And then from that moment, Jesus was sent back to Pilate a second time, and he was questioned. The other gospel writers fill in some of the times of questioning that Jesus had with Pilate. At one point, Pilate said, are you a king? And Jesus responded, and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. On another occasion, we read that Pilate got a message while he was questioning Jesus from his wife. And his wife sent a message to her husband and said, have nothing to do with this just man. I have suffered many things because of him in a dream tonight. When your wife sends you a message, you usually listen up. So Pilate's thinking, I've got to get rid of this guy. He is innocent. And, and over time, he began to realize that the whole reason why they had brought Jesus to begin with was because of envy. He was discerning. He knew they brought him here because they're jealous of him. He's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. And he will repeatedly say he's innocent. He's innocent. He's innocent. So Pilate's looking for a way to not put Jesus to death. So he comes up with another idea. Perhaps he can make a bargain with the Jewish people. See, during the time of Passover, there was an act of goodwill that the Roman government would instill, and that was they would release one of the prisoners to the Jewish people. It was an act of goodwill at Passover. And so there was one man who was notorious, a murderer. Imagine the worst criminal that you could picture in your mind that's behind bars today in solitary confinement. And he thought, if I bring out this man, and I bring out Jesus, and I ask them, who do you want? He's trying to reason with the crowd. Who do you want? Of course, they're going to want a man who, who loves people, who feeds people, who heals people, who teaches people. They're not going to want a notorious murderer who could affect their families, their community. So, so he sets up this act of goodwill, and we find here in verse 13, then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, he said to them, you brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I find no fault in this man concerning those things which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod. I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And they all cried out at once saying, away with this man and release to us Barabbas who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. And Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called to them, but they shouted, crucify him, crucify him, and a third time. Why? What evil has he done? I found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices, 
that he be crucified. At this point, Luke does not record the chastisement that Jesus was subject to. However, the other gospel writers do. They tell us that Jesus, during this period of time, was scourged. The purpose of scourging was to make a criminal confess his crime. And the process for scourging was as follows. The prisoner would be taken and he would be stripped. He would then have his hands tied over his head to a post, his feet barely touching the ground. Two soldiers would then get behind him with a whip that was known and called the cat of nine tails. It was a whip with nine leather strands that came out of it. And at the end of those strands were sharp implements of bone and rock and so forth. And as they would get behind the prisoner, unleashing that, that cat of nine tails, they would take it and they would whip it around the prisoner's back. It would wrap around his torso and it would just, it would catch. And then they would pull it back. And again, as I said, the whole purpose was to get him to confess his crime. But what crime had Jesus committed? He did not commit any crime. So we can perhaps read into the story somewhat thinking, if this man's not going to confess his crime, how much more intense is this whipping going to be? And so one time after the next time, 39 times Jesus was whipped. Most people, most people who went through this died during the scourging because you were no longer bleeding in, you were bleeding out. Vital organs would be exposed. It was, it was the most devastating thing that you could imagine. John's gospel tells us also at this point that a crown of thorns was woven and placed upon Jesus' brow. The thorns that were found in that region, there are two types, one of which is called the Christ thorn that was four to eight inches high. And they wove this crown of thorns and they did not gently set it upon his brow, but they beat it into his head. And then Pilate also placed a robe upon Jesus' open sword back. And he brought him before the people and Barabbas on one side and Jesus on the other. And he said something to the people. He said, behold the man. How telling is that? How descriptive. So much in that. Behold the man. He's talking about Jesus. And the people began to cry out, crucify him. Crucify him. They also said, we will not have this man rule over us. They also said, if you release this man, and this I think really put Pilate over the edge. They said, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. They said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. At that moment, Pilate knew that he could not gratify the crowd. He called for a basin of water and he sought to wash his hands from Jesus saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this man. And he turned Jesus over to the Jewish people and allowed him to be crucified. At that moment, Jesus would then have what is known as the patibulum. It is the cross beam placed upon him, 75 to 150 pounds placed upon his back, and he would be led through the streets of Jerusalem to the outside of the city where he would be crucified. The reason they would lead him through the, the city is there would be a man that would have a sign that would read the, the crime that he had committed. And you remember that it said concerning Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. 
and they would march him through the city. The Bible tells us that two other men were also being marched through the city, and this was to strike fear into the hearts of the people. As if to say, if you ever come against Rome, this is what's gonna happen to you. If you ever stand against us, you'll be next to be crucified. While Jesus was making his way down the Via Della Rosa, down this street that is there even at the present time in the area of Jerusalem, it says here that in verse 26, when they had led him, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And great multitudes of people followed him, and women were mourning and lamenting. And Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and the breasts which never nursed. And then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? And then... There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place, notice this, called Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull, it is there that Jesus was to be crucified. For those of you who are new here, Calvary Chapel, now you know where it's found in the Bible, the place where he was crucified. As Jesus is making his way through the city, he is too weak to be able to carry his own cross beam. And so they just pulled a man randomly out of the crowd, and he is named here, Simon. And Simon was to bear his cross. And while he was there, you see the people were gathered, women were weeping and lamenting, and Jesus starts prophesying. He's saying, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. Weep for your children. You remember they said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. He said, weep for yourselves, as he prophesies even on his way to be crucified. Now, when they brought him to this place called Calvary, it says in verse 33, there they crucified him and the criminals on the right hand and the other on the left. Crucifixion was invented by a group known as the Carthaginians. However, the Romans perfected the art of crucifixion. The victim would be placed on his back His arms would be stretched out and nailed to the crossbar. The nails were generally seven to nine inches long, and they were placed between the bones of the forearm and the small bones of the hands. You would not drive a nail through the hand of the criminal because as soon as he would be raised up, there's not enough to hold it. It would rip right through. And so they would feel for that point in your wrist between your, your right there and they would drive that spike through your wrist and the placement of the nail at this point had severe effects to the physical body. First, it ensured that the victim would hang there until he was dead. Secondly, a nail placed at this point would sever one of the largest nerves in the hand called the median nerve. And the severing of this nerve would be a medical catastrophe because in addition to the severe burning pain and destruction of this nerve, it would cause permanent paralysis in the hand. The other reason why they placed it through this particular area was because it would ensure limited bleeding and it would not break a bone. Interesting, you remember the Bible predicted that Jesus would be pierced In Psalm 22, even before crucifixion was ever invented, 
Furthermore, in the Psalms 22, it says, I can count all my bones. They look at me and they stare at me. Psalm 34, also a prophetic verse, says that he keepeth all his bones and not one of them is broken. He would first be nailed there to the patibulum, that beam across the back. Now, the positioning of the feet before they would be nailed was apparently the most critical part of the mechanics of the crucifixion. First, the knees were flexed about 45 degrees and the feet were flexed, bent downward, if you can imagine that, an additional 45 degrees until they were parallel with the vertical pole. Then an iron nail, as I said, seven to nine inches in length, was driven through the feet and the second and third metatarsal bones. And in this position, the nail would sever the dorsal pedal artery of the foot but the resultant bleeding would be insufficient to cause death. So placement was significant. Now with the knees flexed at about 45 degrees, the victim then would have to bear the weight with the muscles of the thigh. It's almost impossible to try to stand with your knees flexed at 45 degrees for any length of time. As the strength of the legs would begin to give out, the weight of the body is now borne on the arms and upon the shoulders. And the result is that within a few minutes of being placed on the cross, the shoulders would become dislocated. Minutes later, the elbows and wrists also becoming dislocated. And the result of these dislocations is that the arms are as much as six to nine inches longer than normal because of this. Within the arms being dislocated, the body weight is now transferred to the chest and it would cause the rib cage to be elevated in a state of perpetual inhalation. And the, what would basically happen is you would die by suffocation. As a prisoner would hang there with his arms extended above him, the only way that he could breathe would be to press up to get a breath, and then sink back down. Eventually, your lungs would begin to fill with fluid, and you would drown. You would suffocate. That is how you would die. If they wanted a prisoner to die sooner than later, they would come and they would break their legs. You remember? Right before Jesus died on the cross, they came by and they were going to break his legs, but they took note of the fact that he had already died. And so there was this, if they broke your legs, there's no way to get up, and you would die that much quicker. So as you're there, a number of things are happening to your body. You can't maintain adequate ventilation in your lungs and blood oxygen levels diminish and blood carbon dioxide level begins to rise and it's just a, a, a catastrophe inside your physical body. And over time, you would begin to die and eventually, because of blood loss, hyperventilation combined to cause dehydration. You remember Jesus said, I thirst over a period of several hours. The combination of the collapsing lungs, the failing heart, dehydration, and the inability to get adequate oxygen, eventually you would die. In Jesus' case, he had a cardiac rupture. He died. His heart burst. And you remember when they eventually drove the spear up through his side that the blood and water began to flow out his side. It was a slow and painful way to die. It wasn't bad enough that Jesus was crucified to the cross, but notice what it says next. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and they cast lots 
And the people stood looking on. Even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And the inscription also was written over him, letters in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. As Jesus was crucified, some historians believe that when people would be crucified, they would be crucified at eye level. So that when you made your way into the city, you could look right into the face of one who was dying and you could see the agony and pain. And here you have the religious leaders hurling insults, blaspheming him, saying, if you're really the Christ, come down from there and save yourself. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't come down from there and save himself. Because if he had saved himself, no one would be saved. Jesus made seven statements from the cross. The first one recorded here in Luke's gospel. Look with me once more as we conclude in verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. As Jesus hung upon the cross, he pleads still on behalf of sinners and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, the grace of God, the love of God. In that moment, as Jesus was dying, he took all of the wrath, all of the judgment, everything that we deserved. It was a substitutionary death. He took our place. We should have died for our own sin, but instead he came and died in our place. And he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And I believe that that didn't just apply to those who were blaspheming him then, but to us who before we knew Christ were blaspheming him with our lives. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus would die upon the cross in order to save us from our sins. He is a savior. He saves. That's what he does. And you can be grateful today, and I pray this morning, that we would have a greater appreciation, a greater awareness, a greater love for our Savior. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He took your place, friend. He took your place. He died for me. I choose to live for him. Have you chosen to live for him? I pray that you have. You're listening to A Daily Walk with our teacher and pastor, John Randall. Hear the study again anytime you'd like at adailywalk.org and sign up for our free podcast so you can start receiving biblical encouragement on a regular basis. If you'd rather have a CD copy sent your way, that's available for a cost of $5. You can order by phone at 877-242-0828. Have you downloaded our free app? This is a great way to listen to weekly teachings from John. Search for Calvary South OC. It's always encouraging to hear from our listeners. Even just a brief email letting us know you're listening and where means a lot. It's an opportunity to say thanks to God for what he's doing. Share a praise report or a prayer request today. You can email that to us at a dailywalk at gmail.com. 
That's a daily walk at gmail.com. We've got a timely resource to share with you today. It's Barry Stagner's book, The Time of the Signs. This will give you a chronology of Earth's final events. As you study the signs Jesus foretold, you'll gather evidence that proves we are living in the very time of these signs. You'll also gain a clear understanding of what will happen and when. That's the time of the signs. Just $12 at adailywalk.org. You can also call 877-242-0828. A Daily Walk is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. With your help, we're able to deliver God's good news all over the nation and world. Would you consider helping us in this venture to get the word out? People are being blessed and helped in their daily walk. Again, to make a secure donation, drop by adailywalk.org or call us 877-242-0828. Next time on A Daily Walk, hear about the great forgiveness of God. He can forgive you. The pain that you've caused people because of your poor decisions, because of your sin against them, God says, I can forgive you. Whatever you've done, you might have come in here today and the weight of your guilt and condemnation is almost unbearable. Listen, you need to hear the prayer of Jesus from the cross to the Father. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God wants to forgive you. God wants to take that burden away. If you will turn from your sin, if you will repent, you can be forgiven. Come back after the weekend when we'll put the finishing touches on our study of Luke here on A Daily Walk. A Daily Walk is a presentation of Calvary South O.C.